American coming of age storytelling, it's hugely popular and yet it's not afforded to women of color and for working women. This was an effort to change that and to create the kind of story I wanted to see. And that's really how Fruits of Labor came about. This is Faux Real, a podcast where I chat with indie filmmakers about their filmmaking processes, their inspirations, and what their stories mean to them. And I'm your host, Dawn Borchardt. Hi, I'm Emily Conibanez, the director producer of Fruits of Labor. Mi nombre es eh, Emily Conibanez. Soy la directora productora de Frutos del Trabajo. And Fruits of Labor is a story about Ashley, a Mexican-American teenager who dreams of graduating from high school when ice raids in her community threaten to separate her family and force her to become her family's breadwinner. So in the film, you see Ashley on the weekends or during the day, she works often in the strawberry fields. And during her school time, she does a night shift at a food processing plant. Eh, la película sobre Ashley, una esta, mexicana estadounidense de que ella vive en California y ella sueña de graduarse del bachillerato, pero aquí la migración en Estados Unidos amenaza a la familia. Eh, separar la familia. La mamá no, está no tiene documentos, aunque Ashley está nacida aquí en Estados Unidos. Y en esa situación, Ashley tiene que tomar el rol de apoyar la familia económicamente, sostener la familia económicamente. Entonces, trabaja en los files eh, de fresa, piscando fresa y también eh, trabajando por la noche en una fábrica de procesar fresas congeladas. Uh, so she has some grueling work hours, all while being a 17-year-old, coming of age, very sweet moments, prom and uh, falling in love for the first time, but all within the backdrop of precarity of, of our times around, you know, immigration and economic insecurity. Mientras que está tratando de ir al colegio y tener la experiencia de, de una chica de 17 años. Entonces, es como dicen en inglés, coming of age, cuando como una mirada de un año de adolescencia, cuando está volviendo a ser madurez, cuando está siendo como una mujer. Eh, y eso es la película. How did you get involved in this story? But also I'm really interested in how you formed a bond and relationship with Ashley and her family. Yeah. So, you know, the, the origins of this, I guess you could say, I've had um, sort of uh, a connection to the town, Ashley's town for a long time. So in the 90s, I uh, started a club and a liaison group with United Farm Workers and students at UC Santa Cruz and was a part of organizing this strawberry strike, which we ended up having like 10,000 people marching and Jesse Jackson got a lot of attention. And we didn't win uh, the contract that we wanted, but did uh, actually put an end to the use of methyl bromide, which was a pesticide. When I used to work, I later then worked at an AIDS project. And I used to go out to the fields. I would get bloody noses from it. So we did the kids in the schools and the workers would have welts on their arms because they'd be directly sprayed on. So there were, there are more regulations now, better practices around pesticides, but we're still a long way from having dignified work conditions for farm workers and, and especially for strawberry workers, which is considered the hardest labor probably within agricultural work. Um, so there's that kind of backstory 
But with Ashley, where it really started was, you know, um, when Ashley, I met her when she just, she was like 14, turning 15 years old. And I was teaching visual sociology at a university and um, decided, oh, wouldn't it be cool to create this video collective with youth? And now, before we were not saying the town, but we've decided we can openly talk about the town now. So um, it was in, it's in Watsonville. And so we did this beautiful collaboration. My sister is a, an executive director of a nonprofit community agroecology network that works on food security issues and was working with this group of youth. So we collaborated efforts and created this beautiful a video collective called the River Park Video Collective and made like a community film about their community garden, which you see featured in the film. From there, I really got to know Ashley. I continued doing arts development work with the young folks and I got to know her and her family over, you know, two years before I actually started shooting the film. And then, you know, the 2016 election happened. And after that, there was a, a marked increase in ICE raids in the community. This has been existed since, you know, um, George Bush started ICE <laughs> basically at post 9-11. But, uh, you know, there was a clear uptick and, and just general terror. Um, so what happened was in, in Wattsville and, and towns like it, there ended up becoming a major labor gap because undocumented adults were afraid to go work in the factories and in the agricultural fields that were susceptible to raids. So what ended up happening is there's a labor gap. And then who was filling that gap? It was children. So all these young people that I'd been working with, all of them went to work in the fields. You know, I saw this and thought, wow, this is not being told. What we're seeing in the media is a, a narrative around white angry working class men apparently that being the a description and uh, which i found a rather inaccurate one actually of what the working class of america looks like and what the, the working class ideologies are you know but that was the idea why did trump win well it was because of these disaffected sort of working class that happened to be all white angry men and so you know that wasn't my experience and I wanted to put front and center a town, a working class town that was clearly a brown town. Watsonville has had decades of, you know, different uh, immigrant groups. We had Japanese Americans who after, you know, during World War II were put into camps. And so they lost their lands in Watsonville. Filipino migrants, Italian, and migration from Mexico and Central America to be picking strawberries. And there's been shifts even in the, in the produce. And so seeing that, um, I wanted to really look at a rural place that is brown, like so many places in America, and wanted to put front and center a young woman's story, a young woman of color, working woman, because that is the, the image that I'm not seeing. American, you know, storytelling coming of age, and it's one of my favorite genres, um, it's hugely popular, and yet it's not afforded to women of color and for working women. And so this was an effort to change that and to create the kind of story I wanted to see. Um, and that's really how Fruits of Labor came about. You're very involved in that story, like with your sister working for the organization, everything. That's really cool. You have like serious roots in it. And um, also, like I'm not in any way ignorant to um, where our food comes from, but I can say that I had just bought 
strawberries like hours before watching the film and I was like <sighs> it like stretched me out and I was like no this is I don't even know how to look at this or eat this because it's I yeah I didn't feel comfortable with the working conditions obviously um and just to I wanted to clarify too um these kids are filling the roles of their parents because they're not the ones that can be deported correct yeah so most of these young people are born in the U.S. so what's interesting is and there is you know now what we're seeing is a shift towards there was an old program, um, the 50s, 60s, called the Bracero program. It was a guest worker program, and this has been totally ramped up. So in that interim, it was, you know, kids have always worked in the fields. Uh, it's the one area, this and domestic labor, that doesn't have the same worker protections as other uh, parts of our economy. So children as young as 12 years old can work unlimited hours. In California, there's some more restrictions, but they can work up to 40 hours a week in the fields. Um, and so, and you'll see kids 10, 11 year old, 11 years old, it's not uncommon. And it's dangerous work. You're exposed to pesticides, it's dusty, it's hot, it's people faint, you know, you have to be taken to the hospital, you don't get hazard pay, you don't get workers comp. It's a dangerous form of work. There's also a lot of harassment in the fields and we're exposing kids to it. And, you know, one could say, oh, well, parents shouldn't be sending you know their kids that's not actually what's happening kids are are deciding to work because there's so much economic precarity in the united states we aren't willing to pay people a living wage and when you have a whole sectors of the economy that don't even have the protections the wage protections as other workers in the united states you can imagine if most people are fighting for that 15 dollars an hour now think of a, a workplace that doesn't have the kinds of worker protections that we currently have in the U.S. for all other sectors. I understand you're the kind of political involvement. What is it like as a filmmaker going into these situations, especially with families who are dealing with, you know, being afraid of ICE and you have a camera and everything? How do you get their trust and comfort to be able to get close to a teenage girl and her mom who's afraid what does that process look like for you in this particular film you know before i even turn on the camera a we had done this video collective work so i think that there was familiarity with filmmaking and excitement around it uh also i'd gotten to know the family uh over two years before i was filming so there was sort of some trust built there but anytime i'm working because i also do journalism works uh, especially for the intercept and i'm working in something that's dealing with farm workers and people with undocumented status i spend time with people i'm very open about what i am doing and the aims one thing that some people feel especially in journalism is that it's supposedly a no-no to show footage i always share and show what i'm doing and i'm very open about what that story will be and who what's the reach and then talking about with people what I perceive as risk. With Fruits of Labor, I was very concerned and I kept asking her mom and talking to her mom. I mean, Ashley's mom sees herself as an advocate in the community and wanted to come out. I mean, she's now in the process, which is really great, of gaining legal status in this country. So she's kind of out of the woods, let's say, um, right now. So that's great, but it took incredible courage. I think there's a shift you know, for me growing up, 
I'm from an immigrant family. Um, and while I have documented status, I knew a lot of people in my orbit who didn't. And it was something to be held a secret. I always was grow up, was told by my mother, don't tell anybody. It doesn't matter if they're your friend. You don't know. She would say jealousy lives in the heart. You don't know who will tell on who. So you're raised to not talk about it. And I think there was a shift politically um, where people decided to say, you know what, I don't want to be afraid anymore. I think that partly happened around the whole DACA debate, and the film is not about DACA, but I think there was, you know, uh, organizing around uh, with young people around that. And then furthermore, with Trump, I think the way the community responded is like, look, we've been oppressed by this for decades or hundreds of years, you know, ever since the United States took the territory from Mexico. And I would say even before that, when we think of Native peoples and that history, I think people just said this being silent isn't protecting us. Now, for on some ways, some people feel if you're out, it can be a layer of protection. But that's not always the case. And it does, it increases your visibility. And, and so every step of the way, I was working with local lawyers and now looking with national groups and always sort of each time, I think there has to be, there's no perfect way of doing this, but being conscientious and always getting advisement from legal you know, lawyers and um, organizations that work on immigration issues. And so to be kind of as aware and up to date, and then also when you're talking with people that you're filming, like I, this is, I'm actually really concerned about this. And I tend to be almost more concerned than the people in front of the lens, but I think that that's my job. Yeah, there was a scene in the film where the mom is addressing the community in her, in the community garden, and it was so beautiful, but it made me possibly feel the way you were feeling. I was like, she's just like sharing her story publicly before she's in a position to have any sort of protection. And it was really courageous, but made me incredibly nervous for her. Um, But it was a beautiful moment. I mean, I was tearing up for sure. There's so many moments in this film that are really beautiful. And that was more of like a public speaking one, but you get a lot of like really nice, intimate moments too. Did you know going into this that um, Ashley especially was going to have so many like philosophical and dreamer moments? Because that was such a beautiful way to like have this film about immigration and ice and poverty and agriculture and but then all of a sudden you have her talking about the big picture and her connection to the spirit world did you know that about her going in and that was going to weave in the story yeah I mean that was pretty intentional for me I love you know I know film we often think of like external action is where it's at But I also think that there um, can be ways of representing the internal self and that more reflective space uh, where I think one is the emotional storytelling, but I think that people also, uh, part of that is an analytic lens. And um, maybe, you know, I'm also like have a past of being a scholar. So I don't know if that's part of it, but I see um, those were purposefully being spaces of reflection that you know, we could grow together in making the film. And so Ashley's credit is a co-writer. And the way that happened was we would do uh, workshops together and like, you know, five day, uh, what I would call co-writing retreats. 
Um, and so I would show her scenes and we discuss it. And then I'd give her some words and we discuss emotions and then help, you know, as a filmmaker, I could help kind of shape those prose with her so that it could, you know, have a kind of a certain poetry for the film, um, but really taking from her worldview and perspective. And for me, you know, I didn't want Ashley to just be a stand-in for a social issue. I think we have incredible films. And I think in a lot of journalistic work, that's often what we're doing. But for a feature film, I thought, you know, what's really important is to show people as whole people. And Ashley, the reason I wanted to do a feature and do it as a coming of age is I really wanted her to be more than simply a field worker, but really this American teenager that so many people can relate to that has ideas about the world that has, and she just had, she's, I mean, you can even see in her just in the Verte stuff where she's just having offhand those conversations with her boyfriend that are philosophical and reflective. And it really felt natural for us to do that. And she was, she is someone who has been active in um, a youth advocacy group growing justice. So her interest has always, you know, she does have this interest in food security, reflecting on her community and her place in the world. And so this was, this project was kind of an extension of that and to, was really important for me as a filmmaker to incorporate that as part of the film. There was one um, like philosophical and spiritual thing she said that I really loved. She said her abuelita told her, if I learn how to connect my spirit with nature, I'll find my true self. And that really resonated with me. I'm always seeking connection with nature. I moved from Wisconsin where I was like outside all the time um, out to Utah so that I can be in the mountains more and hike more and camp more. And just wondering how that resonated with you or what do you find connection with in nature? I totally connect with that. I love that. And um, both connected to my abuelas and wearing my earrings. I always wear my interviews. I usually have a necklace charm for my other abuela, but these are my abuela Beatriz have given me these little charms and earrings that she used to wear. Um, so I, I feel a deep connection to kind of, I think Ashley has a really uh, strong line of women in her family. Um, I also was raised by a single mom. We're all girls in the family, very close to my grandmother's. Um, and so I think we really connected on that. Um, and in terms of with nature, I mean, I feel nature is a friend. And I think in the film, you know, nature is Ashley's companion where the spirit, you know, the ancestors and spirit world lives. And in terms of like my personal practice, I do once a week, I do a nine mile walk alone in the woods and it clears my mind and allows me to center myself. I'm lucky to live in California where we have incredible nature and hiking. And even I lived, I'm from the West. I grew, I was born and raised in Arizona, lived in California before. And then I was 12 years in New York. And even when I was in New York, I would go, a lot of people don't know if you go to New Jersey, there's some great hikes. So I would regularly do that. And it's something for me that um, that connection is, is hugely important. I think it does something to the mind that it settles the mind in a different way. Being in front yeah. of a computer, for example. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I have to like, at the very least, take a walk around my block or my neighborhood after just like typing away all day, being in Zoom meetings, like I have to do something, but I prefer to like go on longer hikes and camping and all that as much as I can. It just makes me feel grounded and like I'm a regular 
like human being <laughs> connected to this earth and I'm not just like floating through time and space aimlessly. <laughs> totally. And one thing I love is Ashley's ability to reflect on like, there's the fields and that's a kind of domestication of, of nature, right? And that's where the, where the landscape is treated like literally like a factory. You have the foreman, you're on the clock, you're, you're going fast, you're doing repetitive movements. You know, it's all about production and like her community garden where yes, here it's a domestic afford of growing food, but the difference in the way the time um, and knowledge that's shared and that you can eat the food that you grow or the berries that grow everywhere here naturally on hikes, you can just pick the blackberries and eat them. Uh, wild blackberries. So for me, I love that comparison of, you know, the different ways in which our food grows or, or the way we can look at plant life, for example. Yeah. I think she was calling it ancestral fruit and domesticated fruit. And I thought that was really cool. And I don't know if she just made that up, but if that's a legitimate phrasing, but I really loved it and had never heard it before. Switching a little bit, I saw that watching the credits that your crew is made up mainly of women of color. And I wanted to ask you about that process for you and why that was important to you, assuming it was important. It doesn't seem like a coincidence. <laughs> um, so we could talk about that. Well, first that experience. Of all, thank you for seeing that. Yeah. Thank you for recognizing that. Yes, it was important to me. I mean, on one hand, I was really choosing who I felt was the best for this project people I can work with and people who I, I respect and find to be really talented and great collaborators. So that's, that's one thing, you know, that didn't like go out the door. I was very intentional about working with women of color. And also part of it was natural and organic because I'm a, I've been a very active part of Brown Girls Doc Mafia film collective of women and non-binary filmmakers of color and kind of there from the early days. And I used to be like a national coordinator for them. So I, you know, whenever I was going to festivals, I was always going with Brown girls. That's who at the festivals I was meeting. And my first collaborators on the film, the, the team grew as the project got more recognition, but you know, my kind of initial collaborators were Christina Matwani, one of the editors and Gabriela Garcia Pardo, who, you know, I do cinematography work, but then she also did half of the cinematography work. And so that was really wonderful. We met at a Brown Girl, uh, at True False, we all went together with Brown Girls Doc Mafia and just having dinner. And it's like, oh, wow. And then I saw Gabriela's work. I, at the time I, I had a miscarriage, but I was pregnant. I said, I don't, I'm filming this film and I just don't want to be with the camera because I've had this issue. And she's like, I want to film it. And um, she showed me some of her work. I'm like, amazing. She does incredible work and done and been working a long time at National Geographic as a cinematographer and that eye for nature. And, and she's a hiker, um, also Colombian American like myself. It was good that she spoke Spanish because in the field, we were speaking Spanish a lot, Spanish and English. And yeah, great collaborator. I just love working with women and everyone, you know, there are a couple of guys on the team who are also wonderful. And it's sad to say, I think, you know, I'm 43 years old. And I think when I was in my twenties and in New York, there was guys that would say, and they wouldn't work with women or, or you got, you know, it, it was a different, a little bit of a different vibe than now where women and especially women of color are making themselves more visible as working filmmakers. 
while we've been around forever, but somehow made, you know, invisible. Yeah, I think it's sort of the group that I'm surrounded by. So these are the people I meet. And also I really wanted that to be the case for this film. I wanted to work with a woman of color team. And most of us are um, from immigrant families. That's really cool. And I'm really happy you did that. Thank you for supporting all of us and, you know, helping, hoping to build that trend and momentum a little bit more in the film industry. What do you hope people see in the film and take away from it? Well, I want people to go away from it, having a dignified picture of who picks our fruits and vegetables, who processes our food. You know, we're, we're all human beings here with aspirations and dreams and desires. And I think that part of the, when I decided to do this was feeling this denigration towards immigrants and towards the Latinx community. And so I want an uplifted picture. I want people to have a better understanding who who's picking your fruits and vegetables and to value that work and to think maybe you go away and think, oh my gosh, we should be paying people for this great work because we, you know, I eat strawberries still. All of our fruits and vegetables, you know, we have a broken food system and this is a global food system. We're Ashley's town. They're the biggest exporter of strawberries in the world. That's what I want people to come away with. I want them to find joy. We had a lot of joy and celebration with making the film. So I hope that people feel that as well as some of the hardship and difficulty and suffering that the Latinx community, especially folks in farm working towns are going through and people who are in low wage jobs in America. So those are the things, you know, and to rethink why, why? Do we exclude agriculture and domestic labor? Why are we denigrating this labor? Maybe they'll be inspired to explore that history a little more. We're going to be kicking, we're kicking off on Monday, this big social impact campaign. So I'd love for people to stay tuned. Um, we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, our webpage, fruitslaborfilm.com, join our newsletter, and you're going to get to see really exciting distribution of the film, as well as tuning in to the PBS broadcast on POV American Documentary, October 4th. Amazing. One of the things that I realized we didn't really talk too much about is that uh, you guys talk about in the film how despite being agricultural workers, many of these people can't afford to buy the fruits that they're even picking or the vegetables. So they've started this community garden to help with the food scarcity and poverty. And it's really amazing. Is there a way that listeners can support that community garden or efforts that are being done in the community there? Absolutely. You know, that a garden in particular is under threat. So the city wants to bulldoze it. They were able to, you know, claim that city land. It wasn't being used. And now there's a developer. And so the city wants to give it, even though it's city land, to the highest bidder. And, you know, it's not, it's a small piece of land. It, it took them three years to claim that land. And they lowered the violence. That corner there had a lot of gang violence and, and drug use. And they transformed their neighborhood now to a place that maybe the, all the folks from Silicon Valley are coming in. The rents are crazy high, even in Watsonville, and are going to be displacing workers. That garden in particular is a River Park Garden in Watsonville, uh, California. And but there's really, you know, uh, in Santa Cruz County, the Latino community created a beach flats garden that they already bulldozed um, and people were really fighting. 
And these are small pieces of land that have been transformed. And it's, you know, a developer that just wants that for some kind of development that might not really be servicing the community. Wow. Well, I will put that information of how to follow your film and support the community garden um, and the movement in the podcast show notes. So you guys should all check that out. Thank you so much, Emily. This was so lovely to get to talk to you and learn more. Thank you. This was really wonderful. Thank you all for listening to this episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. I know I learned a lot with my conversation with Emily, so I hope you guys learned a lot too and want to go see the film now. It's so wonderful. It's streaming for free on PBS's POV program right now. You can find the link in their bio on Instagram at Fruits of Labor Film or on their website at fruitsoflaborfilm.com. So go check that out. The music is Lost and Bound by Talene Kali. The podcast artwork is by Whitney Salgado. And I'm your host, Dawn Borchardt.